What you're about to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. In the next 60 minutes, you're going to feel entertainment, but you will be riveted by the story you're about to hear. Enlightenment, you will understand the power of the spoken word and the power that you have that you probably don't even recognize. We begin in 60 seconds. First, let me tell you, I got a letter in from Tammy. I want to read it to you. She said, I've been wanting to communicate to your team how much real estate agents I trust has changed our lives. So, you know, realestateagentsitrust.com, that is my company. Um, It's a group of a whole buttload of real estate agents that we've really done our homework on to make sure they have the best practices. They're fans of the show and everything else. So you're, you're kind of meeting a new friend but somebody who really knows the business and can get you the best deal uh, for your house and for your new house. She says, I was contacted by an agent in Santa Clara, California, who helped sell my house there in California. We loved our experience. When's the last time you said that about buying or selling a house? So my husband, Scott, and I used him again to sell our childhood home in Palo Alto. We didn't want to pay California taxes, so the agent gave us a referral to an agent in the network in Boise, Idaho. We bought six townhomes from that one sale in California. Of course you did. We spent a lot of time in Idaho. We fell in love with the area, culture, and the people. We ended up buying a home for ourselves, and we have left California. I'm so glad to hear, I'm so glad to hear from you, Tammy. You keep Idaho strong. Uh, best move we ever made. Your network literally changed our lives. It will help change yours as well. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Find the best agent in your area, at least the ones we recommend. We think they're the best. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com, a free service to you. I want to read you the foreword, uh, just a bit of it, from uh, Saving Aziz. Um I first met Chad Robichaux in 2016 through a mutual friend, David Barton. I had heard about his multiple deployments in Afghanistan, his struggles with PTSD and suicide after he came home. Our shared love of history, independence, and dependence on our faith to transcend the dark valleys of our past and desire to use our struggles to pay it forward. These things instantly bonded us. I could tell Chad was the real deal. A man of his word, he was a man of honor. I had him on my show several times to share his story and to speak on veterans care and how his organization, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, was working to combat veteran PTSD and suicide. Upon hearing his words, I said, sign me up. My wife and I and our charity, Mercury One, became a supporter. We remained in touch over the years, and when the debacle began unfolding in Afghanistan, I didn't give the decision a second thought. Chad and I locked arms and dove in together to do what we really needed to be done. Um, We did what our government wasn't doing, and that's saving as many people as possible from the bloodlust of the Taliban. Most of these were SIVs, meaning they were qualified for special immigrant visas because they helped our country and American troops when they were deployed. It goes on for a couple of more pages, and let me just give you this. I, like Chad, um, while this crisis made me ashamed of our government, it also made me ponder about the American people. I was at the point where I was absolutely hopeless about America. I thought, we're just not going to make it. 
But then I saw people from all walks of life and all income levels and all parties come together and say, this is wrong and we'll do something about it. My heart swelled. Our national honor may have meant nothing to those in Washington, but it meant everything to countless Americans. For the first time in my life, I felt if the government and elites would just get out of the way of the people, we'd solve a lot of our problems. This is a book that tells the story of what happened in Afghanistan, and I mean really in Afghanistan. Um, Aziz was the interpreter for Chad while he was over in Afghanistan. For how many tours did you do over there? I did eight, uh, and uh, all eight were with Aziz because we're a very, very unique scenario into my job specifically and the way our, our relationship was. This story is also a story of God and the miracles that happen uh, when you just do all that you can do, and then doors just start to open. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I think it's a, just an example of when you're obedient to God's burning of your heart and you step forward in faith. You know, yeah. the Bible says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 or 5-7 that we, we walk by faith and not by sight. And we see things that look impossible, and, and they are impossible at times, but, you know, uh, these are things that God, God is capable of doing. You know, somebody <laughs> said to me, um, uh, I've had several Christians say to me, uh, you know, Glenn, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I'm like, well, you know, I think the only thing that will happen is if we turn to God yeah. and we really need to turn back to God. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. But what are we going to do? And I, I keep wanting to say, you know, the guy you look at as savior and me too, he rose from the dead. <laughs> That's a little harder yeah. to do than saving the country. <laughs> I mean, I think God could ha- could take this on yeah. if we all just rededicate ourselves to him. Well, you know, this story, and, and uh, if I could get one thing out of this story, Saving Aziz, it is to tell that the story of God doing miracles today because what what happened in uh in the rescues of, of 17,000 people, by the way, by, by just a handful of civilians who had no money to do it, had never done humanitarian operation like that before, and uh, and we're not with the government anymore. Uh, is it is a story of a of a divine miracle? I'm not smart enough or capable enough. I have the experience and background to do these things, but I'm not smart enough, capable enough to pull that off. It was too big of a thing. What, and, and it is amazing <laughs> because you went and you actually were over there and yeah. you were doing the work, but you, like you said, you didn't have the money, and I was over here raising money, not. Connecting yet, no. raising the money, our audience was yeah. given money, and I was saying internally, we don't have any guys on the other side of the fence. Right? How are we going to get them to these planes? And that's when we connected, yeah. and it was amazing. Uh, organization after organization all brought puzzle pieces together. That's right. That yeah. we were all short of. Yeah, it's a, it is. It was a perfectly orchestrated uh, series of events that if any one of the, I've been speaking a lot about this, if any one, looking back now, if any one of these pieces fell. didn't work, yeah, fell or the door didn't open, the whole thing didn't work. Yep. I mean, when we went there, you know, obviously my original intent was to go rescue my friend. You know, I, I had, I had did eight deployments with that, with Aziz. He was you know, so dear to me. So I'm going, and he saved your life several times. He saved my life on three occasions. So to give a little background of how we worked, I was a, I was in a, a JSOC task force, a joint special operations command task force with one of our premier special operations units. And, uh, and I was what's called an AFO there, advanced force operator, which really is like the best way I know to describe it is like being undercover. You go in a single tin capacity by yourself and you work with a local national to go out in advance of your unit in the mountains of Afghanistan, across border in Pakistan to build the infrastructure to, 
put our soldiers on target to capture or kill the bad guys. That was my job. And Aziz was not only my interpreter, but he was my teammate. And ultimately, you spend weeks and months like that. Either you're going to hate the guy or you're going to love the guy. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with him. He's uh, he's one of my, my best friends in the world. He He saved my life multiple times, but I'd say he saved my life every day. Like, don't walk there. Don't eat that. Don't talk to this person. If you speak right now, they're going to kill us. Like, and I, I've seen him put his his life on the line for uh, for other service members. I mean, he we just got him recognized by U.S. Congress. Who's the first Afghan ever to be recognized by the U.S. Congress mm. for the for the rescue of four Navy SEALs that an operation he and I were on. I was tasked with this operation to recover these do a clandestine extraction of these four SEALs that were caught in this Taliban village. And, and we were out of options. And it was Aziz who stepped up and said, I know how we're going to do this. Let's take this vehicle. He drove us through the night uh, into this Taliban village, and we got these you know, four Navy SEALs out. So He's an incredible y- human being. You knew when this was all falling apart, you, you knew that Aziz should have been on the list, would have. I mean, he had if been you in the process listen- for six years. <laughs> right. He had, been, he had been in the SIV process for six years. It's a broken system. It's supposed to take nine months. Right. But six years, it's close to nine months. Uh, turn a nine upside down, it looks like a six. Anyway, um, so he is, uh, you knew immediately, there's no way he's going to get out. No, because I had already tried to use my relationships in Congress and Senate, and uh, and it just wasn't happening. And it wasn't happening for many SIVs. And like I said, it's a nine-month process and a promise that we gave in 2009, our interpreters. And we had we had, uh, we had forfeited this, uh, our, our commitment to them. And, uh, and Aziz is a guy who had access to top secret information, served in special operations for 15 years, been polygraphed. If he couldn't get out, you had to think about some of the others, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I knew he was in danger in April, not August, there was trouble, but all the way back in April, one of our old teammates that had turned on us to the Taliban and had, uh, had been hunting Aziz before he, this guy had 10 of our team members killed who were friends of mine. He had, uh, he drove a vehicle, bom- well, he, he had someone drive a vehicle bomb in my house looking for Aziz. He, he, he had me abducted Jeez. by a foreign intelligence agency, which I, I can't say which one, mm-hmm. but, uh, so I, I mean, this is a really bad guy. We had him arrested. He was put in jail, but it, president Obama's, uh, administration let him loose and, uh, as with many others and he turned back to the Taliban. So he's looking for Aziz all the way back in April. And, uh, and so we started moving Aziz and I'm getting more and more desperate. And we, we hear president Biden announced that date to say, we're going to withdraw on the anniversary of nine 11. Uh, my heart sank and I knew a couple of things. One, I knew this was going to be catastrophic and we could go into if you want why for the global security and national security of the world, that was catastrophic. But secondly, uh, my heart went selfishly to my friend and said, I have to go get my friend. So where did you first go? What did you do? What was your plan? Well, my, I, had, I had two plans, and uh, the first one didn't work out. The first plan is I called uh, Richard McGinnis, who works for uh, Tucker Carlson. He's done went undercover with Antifa and BLM, and he was crazy enough to do it. And I said, hey, do you want the story in Afghanistan of the withdrawal? I'll get you there. And we'll go in and we'll get a we'll get my interpreter on the ground to be our cultural liaison. Once we get the get the interview, we're gonna fly him back to Dubai to interview him and his family, and then he's never going back. And they were in, and the Daily Caller actually mm-hmm. approved it. Uh, and and uh, but it happened too fast, so we couldn't pull that off. And so I said we're just gonna have to go in and get him. And so I ca- started calling former special operations guys that I knew I could trust because I knew them long-term. They had the ASO, AFO level experience to work independently. And they were mature guys who had already been to combat. So they wouldn't be itching to go and get in a, a gunfight with the Taliban. And is that what you mean by you knew you could trust them? I knew I could trust them in that. Yeah. that I mean, I didn't want to bring guys that were like 
hadn't got the chance to go get some, you know, in mm-hmm. combat and then be out there. Uh, that was not what we were going there for. The time for combat was over. This was going to be to rescue uh, my friend, his family, and potentially others. But where it shifted was one of our teammates. We had guys from, you know, SEALs, Force Recon Marines, Green Berets. We had a couple of paramilitary officers from the CIA, uh, some very experienced guys. And one of the guys said, hey, there's this group of 3,500 orphans. Why don't we get them too? And, uh, and then we kind of paused for a second and said, the skill set we have in the room, the passion that we have to do this, uh, let's get as many Americans, interpreters, their families, women, children, Christians that will be persecuted. Let's get as many people as we can. And, uh, and I believe it. I think everyone in that room was uh, believers, you know, uh, Christians. And, and I think we all felt this burden on our heart. That's why I called it Task Force 6-8 from Isaiah 6-8, Hear mm-hmm. My, Send Me. And, uh, and we just all wanted to be obedient to that. And if any, if we get credit for anything, and I know you've given me credit with the Bonhoeffer Angel Award and Congress has recognized me for this, but if we get any credit for anything, it was, the only thing I feel like we deserve credit for was being obedient to say yes to that burden that God put on our heart because after that, everything was a divine miracle. I mean, within three days... The uh, Sarah Verardo talked to the Joint Chiefs and got permission for us as civilians to go in HKI Airport, which is DOD controlled, and do a civilian evacuation. Anybody knows anything about the military? That's impossible for that to happen. And I still don't know how it happened. They gave us permission to go there, and they said they would vet our manifest. Uh, now, secondly, we have to move people without visas to another country, which is human trafficking if you don't have paperwork yep. the only place that's allowed is right here in laredo texas <laughs> <laughs> but in the real world you know we have to have right. we have to have permission so we called the royal family of the uae because we had relationships there with uh, some of the family members two of our teammates actually had historical relationships there and we told them what we were going to do and they said uh not only will you can you bring them here but we'll give you a humanitarian center doctors food we're going to care for them and, uh, and we'll work with the State Department to be able to actually get them to the U.S. Because a lot of people gave us slack for we're bringing people to the U.S. I don't have the ability to bring people to the U.S. Right. I had the ability to evacuate people from Afghanistan. Sure. But bringing them to America is not up to me. Um, and, then, and then that's happening. And then the, the royal family says after that, not only that, but we're going to give you two C-17 planes and, and pilots, uh, which sounds like a lot, but we even need it more. And so that, but that was amazing. And then the next thing that happened all within three days is I got on the phone with you and you told me that you got behind a microphone because you want to do what, what you could, what you had, this is your greatest weapon mm-hmm. and you pat, you used your voice and, uh, and, and people responded. And, and I, I think you were like, I didn't know what was going to happen, but we raised billions of dollars and, <laughs> yeah. and what are we going to do with it? And then you, you connected me with Rudy Atala, uh, amazing, amazing human being at, at Mercury one. And we synergized on the effort to start coordinating the, uh, the procurement of planes, uh, to be able to manifest planes and get planes, uh, rotating in. And, and, and the large majority of, uh, of the, the 17,000 people we got out were on planes that Mercury one in your audience. So I, I'm super thrilled to be here to be. It's amazing. <laughs> 17,000 people. And it started with, I got to go over and say my friend started with, I got to go over and say my friend. And, and we did get Aziz the first day, you know, we had, we had so much happening. We had our, our, uh, our team in Abu Dhabi, which is where I was run, running operations. We had a team in Sarah Verardo was running in Washington, D.C. to take applications and make sure they're the right people, not just anyone. We're vetting the right people, which unfortunately DOD did, did not, not do that. Um, and people said they were concerned about who was coming here. I was too. I want to make sure. I mean, I, I'm I was concerned, concerned on every single person that was in our purview on our planes we were concerned yeah. the united states government didn't seem didn't, to care didn't care yeah i mean we we did our, our due diligence and we didn't bring them straight to america we put them through a filter process Correct. in a third party country uh but you know for us we 
having that process running was very intricate and, uh, and it was amazing how fast. I'm so proud of everyone that was involved, how fast we were able to get a system in place. We had our ground team going outside the wire at HKIA and three-man teams to grab people as we coordinated a rescue list. And, uh, and no one stopped to sleep. I was so amazed by everyone. Uh, 10 days, if you stopped for five minutes to sleep, you felt like you were trading that for a human life. And uh, so no one, see, my friend Seaspray, we write about in the book, he lost 37 pounds in that 10 days. Jeez. We didn't know how, we didn't know how long we had. We just knew we couldn't stop. But when that Abigate blew up and 13 of our service members mm-hmm. were killed, um, we, we, we watched the military weld those gates shut and the U.S. military did not want to leave. Uh, but they had to, but we didn't have to, and, and we chose to stay. I was. I want to talk to you about yeah, that here. Yeah. Let me give me give me a minute here, and we're going to come back. The name of the book is "Saving Aziz" by Chad Robichaux, Uh and it is it's fantastic, and it is the story of what happened because you responded. He was over the seventeen thousand people that he got out. Many of those were were out because you gave five bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever it was. This is your story, Saving Aziz. You can get it now. Um, our sponsor this half hour is CarShield. I've had uh, CarShield for several years now for a lot of reasons. Well, actually, two. I've got two chuck trucks that are out of warranty, and I don't want to buy new trucks. Um, I mean, have you seen the price of used trucks? I don't want to. I do not want to go and buy a new anything or used I want to just keep fixing them until the doors fall off of them. And then I'll just put a rope there every time I get into one of them. That's why I have car shield. And the, the idea that one of my trucks went in and it was a $6,000 chip was phenomenal. I, I mean, I went down and I said, you should have called me. And they're like, okay, well, car shield covered it. I was like, oh, you shouldn't have called me. I, I'm, I'm exactly right. Carshield.com slash back. If it's a covered repair, it is covered and it does not. Um, I mean, it's 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 phenomenal. You can keep your budget and you can keep your cars running. Carshield.com. Call 800-227-6100. 800-227-6100. Save 20% on your plan right now. Carshield.com slash back. Use the promo code back at 800-227-6100. Carshield.com, 10 seconds, station ID. The one of the worst things that I saw was the welding of the gate um, closed and um, our service military men um, being blown up and all those women blown up. And looking at the eyes of the military, I, I know a lot of these guys. They hated what was happening. They wanted to go back out and oh, yeah. do this the right way. Go ahead. I mean, the whole thing from the beginning, you know, first of all, a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would probably disagree with my initial statement that we should not have left Afghanistan, maybe even yourself, Glenn. Um, but but um, I want to say this. We shouldn't have left it like we did. We shouldn't have left it like we did. 20 years that we were, the American people were sold a, sold a lie that we were in this 20-year war, that we were in this endless war, and we had to leave, and we had to rush to get out. This is a, one that wasn't true, and, and two, that was inconsistent with the history, the successful history of the United States military strategy. Um, we 
we were in a support and advisory role. We hadn't been in kinetic warfare in Afghanistan since 2018. The U.S. military had 2,500 to 4,000 troops at Bagram Air Force Base, which, by the way, is the most strategic place on today's globe mm-hmm. between Iraq, Iran, Russia, and China. We were participating in an international effort with countries from all over the world, and it was actually working, where everyone was participating together to fight the Taliban, support uh, through supporting and advising the Afghan National Army and the Afghan National Police in this small contingent effort. The only people that actually went out and fought were special operations units, which we do that anyway in Syria, Africa, mm-hmm. all over the world. And so this was very successful working. And to say we had to leave because of that military contingent there is inconsistent with the rest of the world. We still have 80,000 troops in, in Japan, 40,000 in Germany, 35,000 in South Korea. Why was there a rush to get 2,500 troops out and forfeit our base before our civilians leave our equipment there before our before our civilians were evacuated. So why so, was there a rush? This had not been answered. So yeah, let me. Let, I want to go there because Trump was wanting us out of there mm. as well. Yes. Why would we abandon that airport? I don't want to yeah. be at war, etc. But uh, why would we ab- abandon that airport when we come yeah. back? Okay. The name of the book is Saving Aziz by Chad Robichaux. Get it. Wherever books are sold, it'll be on the shelves tomorrow. The Glenn Beck Program. Every day, God willing, we move a little bit closer to getting rid of abortion in this country. But we have made a great leap forward and a dark leap back. Um, abortion, uh, Roe versus Wade, overturned. <sighs> but the forces for abortion are not doing it for women's rights. This is becoming a blood cult. And if if you want to do one thing that will call down the blessings of heaven on us, uh, it would be save babies. Preborn partner clinics continue to stand strong for unborn uh, children, providing free ultrasounds to mothers that are considering abortion. Once a mom hears the heartbeat, she is uh, seeing the life inside of her as a child. And 80 percent of the time she chooses life. That's what we're raising money for. You want to save some more lives? One ultrasound is 28 bucks. That's a cost of a dinner to save one life. Just dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, pound 250, keyword baby, and donate. Or you can go right to their website, preborn.com slash Beck. Preborn.com slash Beck, sponsored by Preborn. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. You'll save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We're talking to Chad Robichaux, uh, Saving Aziz, a new book that he has just put out. Uh, Spent months with the Pentagon and some things taken out of it. Um, uh, But it is is the truth of what was going on when uh, Chad went in and his team went to rescue all of these people behind what then was enemy lines. It was in enemy lines, and then suddenly it became enemy lines. You said earlier that, um, you know, you don't think we should have ever pulled out of Afghanistan. I think that is, I think most people don't understand that there was another option on the table, and even Donald Trump didn't take it, that could have declared the war over, but then just said, but we're keeping, with all of our allies, Bagram Air Force Base, because that is 
strategically so important if, let's say, you got a problem with China, Russia, Iran, which we do. And not just us, but all of the uh, left has, I mean, uh, sorry, all of the West has a problem with those three. So why wasn't that taken? Because we could have said war is over. Mm. We're just keeping the base. Mm. Takes 2,500 people to run it. We're not doing anything else. Just keeping the base. You know, this is a very perplexing question to me because the, the answer doesn't is is not the question hadn't even been asked, and so there's no answers to why they didn't do this. I mean, President Trump uh, began negotiating with the Taliban. To be fair, I did not agree with President Trump negotiating with the Taliban. I didn't agree with President Biden negotiating with the Taliban. Who they didn't negotiate with is the most important. They didn't talk to our international our partners and our allies to say, hey, we want to leave Bagram Air Force Base. They didn't talk to the Afghan government that we spent 20 years putting in place. They never talked to them. They only talked with our enemy of 20 years. And this is a question that should be asked of both administrations, uh, and particularly the one in charge at the time, the Biden administration of why did not we did not talk with our international partners? Why did we not talk with the Afghan government? Why did we forfeit the most strategic location on the globe to protect the world from international terrorism. And uh, so I can't, I can't, if Donald Trump were willing to do that and then Biden wouldn't, I would say, well, Biden has a lot of ties and you're giving that Air Force. But right. I mean, didn't China come in on Bagram pretty quickly? Pretty quickly. And yeah. uh, I mean, well, in fairness, and I talk about this in the book, uh, um, General Kellogg and, and others had said that President Trump did not intend to give a Bagram Air Force Base. Okay, okay. So, okay. Uh, now, well, because that's the th- that's yeah. the thing. If he right. would have kept it, it would have been fine. Right, would have been fine. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. And uh, and I think to to appease the public for the political optics to just say rename it as a yeah, war's over. I never even heard that option. I right. had never even heard that option. Yeah. Once it was over and we gave away, Stu, is this the same with you? Once we gave away Bagram and China was rushing in and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what what's happening? And everybody was explaining how critically important Bagram was for that part of the world. Yeah. If you're trying to secure things, I had never heard that. Yeah. Nobody was making that point. Yeah, I mean, um, it's... It, it was in the only people that had anything to gain by us leaving were our enemies, China specifically. And uh, if you, a lot of times you look at something like this and you say, you know, what was the intent behind it? Who had you look at the intent? Who had something to gain? And, uh, you know, the United States of America had nothing to gain. Our international partners and our, our allies around the world had nothing to gain. The people of Afghanistan had nothing to gain. The only people that, that had stuff to gain was Iran, Pakistan, particularly Pakistan ISI, the uh, International Security uh, Intelligence Service, which is like their CIA, was wanted wanted to be in there, and as well as uh, you know China. And if you look at uh, China's uh, position in that part of the world, they want it and have always wanted the mineral rights of the Hindu Kush mountains. And people might not think mineral rights are a big deal, but the lithium in those mountains are worth trillions of dollars. And they want it. I'm sorry, the what in those mountains? Lithium. (laughs) Wow. I wonder what we make with lithium. (laughs) Yeah. Electric cars and your phones and everything else. And they wanted those mineral rights. And I said this on a, I said this in in early August and, and uh, someone that I was on the radio show with said it was conspiracy and literally September 1st, China had get the mineral rights of those Hindu Kush mountains. They have them now. Unbelievable. Uh, another thing that China really wanted was access to, our, they wanted to buy oil. They wanted access to Iranian sanctioned oil. The only thing that sat between Iranian sanctioned oil and the China's purchase was the United States military that sat right at Bagram Air 
Force Base. And so as soon as we were gone, they started moving oil across the border. We so know this to be true. we get rid of the Air Force Base and uh, instead of the military, which I don't know is, is, has ever been done, we put Biden puts the State Department in charge. Yeah. Which... Have they ever done this before? No, what, what it's called is a NEO operation, a non-combatant evacuation operation. And this is a DOD function. And so the reason you have different parts of the government in situations like this is you have the State Department, which does the diplomatic relations and diplomatic mm-hmm. negotiations. And you have the military that exercises military force. And the two should never trade uh, mm-hmm. positions and or, or merge. Mm-hmm. There need to be two separate efforts. And the commander-in-chief should, certainly should know this. And his advisors, I'm sure, certainly told them this. The putting the NEO operation in the hands of the State Department was like saying, hey, the baggage handler works on a plane. Let's put him in the pilot seat. Right. He's going to crash the plane. Right. And that's what we saw happen. The State Department did not know how to do a NEO operation. They treated that airport like an embassy, and they used our military to secure that embassy. And so what happened was our military was not allowed to go out to rescue civilians, uh, Americans, our allies. They had to stay and guard that airport. And so they allowed the per- Taliban to close the outer perimeter and be in control of the outer perimeter. And so we would have said that we control by the HKI airport, but the truth is we didn't control HKI airport. The Taliban controlled the outer perimeter. Anybody knows anything about strategy knows whoever controls the outer perimeter of land space controls what goes in and out and actually ultimate and ultimately controls that land space. So I would say that it was incompetence. But then, I mean, you know, you had personal experience. I had personal experience. Do you remember the day, Stu, that I came in after a phone call with the State Department and I said on your show, I blew my stack. And oh, yeah. And I yeah. said, I, I said things I never, ever thought I would say. I said, I just I just went through this meeting. The State Department is on the other side. And if this is our State Department, if this is our government, I will renounce my citizenship. And I meant it. And I still mean it today. Um, it, it was there were bad guys in the State Department. And I don't know what the intent was other than to frustrate everything the good guys were doing. Well, I mean, I I know my my uh, appreciation and loyalty to our Afghan allies may be different than uh, than some others. However, we're talking about Americans, blue passport holders like me and you Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan trying to make it to the airport. And you have the White House saying. Well, if they want to, if they want to evacuate, all they have to do is go to the airport. The Taliban controlled the airport. The Taliban at the time were shooting people outside the airport. They were taking people's blue passports away from them. They were they were cutting people's arms off, tying them in the back of cars and dragging them down the street. If I had a blue passport, the last thing I would do would you be go to Taliban. Yeah. So I mean, it was. Hey, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, officer. Yeah. I got a blue passport. You're yeah. dead. Yeah. I mean, I I couldn't I couldn't imagine being a uh, uh, American. A volunteer nurse or school teacher or uh, or aid worker or a Christian missionary trying to make it to the airport in that scenario. And, and we, our State Department, did not do their duty, their duty to the American people to protect them and safely evacuate them. And when the when the White House gave a date and said we're going to evacuate by this date. That was a huge mistake with for the Taliban because you never give in any negotiation. You never give a date without terms. You don't give a date at all. You give terms. It, and, and again, I don't agree with the, the, the withdrawal. But if if you want us to leave, you have to let us get every American out, every one of our allies out, our $85 billion in equipment that we want out. 
If you allow us to do that, then we'll leave. If you right. get in the way, we're not leaving. And and that's the position the White House should have took. But instead, they gave a date, and they even tried to go back to negotiate the date, to renegotiate the date. The Taliban said no, and they caved to it. No one uh, from the United States, including the President of the United States, was in charge of that negotiation. The Taliban was, and we folded to them, and it cost American lives. Do you believe this mess uh was done by our president in some degree or another because of deals that he has made elsewhere like china i do i mean um and i know a lot of people think it's conspiracy or partisan for me to say that but look none of this makes sense at all uh and so it leads me to believe that there has to be ulterior motive this the the his his uh, uh joint chiefs his national security uh council the uh all, all of his intelligence committees all recommended that he did not do this he chose to do it anyway why would he do that? Why would he uh, abandon American Americans? Why would he evacuate the military before American civilians? Why would he leave $85 billion in, in, in American uh, military equipment and technology? If I left, lost a pair of night vision goggles, oh, I'd be in jail. Right. Like, and and uh, why would he do all these things so hastily? I mean, the, you're talking the second day in office. This began. The second day in office, this began. And this Doha agreement was such a joke to say that the Taliban is a new Taliban and they the Doha agreement hmm. says that they they will not in, uh, allow terrorism to take place. They are terrorists. Like, they're, they're not going to allow terrorists to take place. Terrorism to take place. They are terrorists. It, it was a complete joke. And, and then to think uh, that there was any other reason besides being a... Uh, international uh influences from places like china would have influenced the president's decision to that is just it's just somewhere i can't go i have to believe that that his relationships in china his history with china uh influenced him because they were the only ones with something to gain saving aziz is the uh, name of the book and it is how chad the guy you're listening to is i, I got to get one guy out and it ends up being you know almost twenty thousand people uh, and you played a role in this. So this is, in some way, your story as well. And you you need to read it. Saving Aziz. Um, the last question. Out of all of the stuff that you witnessed and and were part of and and that you wrote in the book, what is the one thing that you hope people will walk away with? What is the one thing? What do you think the most important message of this is? So one last question story um and and I, that'll help me answer this question uh when it, when we the airlifts were over and we couldn't fly people out anymore um we we knew that there was thousands of people stuck in the panjir valley want to cross into tajikistan uh myself and and uh staff sergeant dennis price knew that they needed information from the other side we went into tajikistan spent 10 days on that border uh and did a uh, 90 miles of border reconnaissance the russians were there the chinese were there the Taliban were there, and uh, every night we swam across that river and into uh, into Afghanistan to build routes Jeez. to get those people out. We provided, provided information to our government intelligence agencies and NGOs, uh, like like Mercury One and and, uh, and and the people there to help get them out. And and you know I watched Dennis Price and Seaspray and Tim Kennedy and and just so many amazing people, uh, Dance Dance and Sean G, like just do some amazing things. And and we all been have been asked, and I think you've even asked this. You know why would we? Why would we go and do that? Obviously, for Aziz, we know why, but mm -hmm. people that we didn't know, why would we do that? And uh, the simple answer is it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think what people saw, and you started this earlier, what people saw is when the governments of the world wouldn't do the right thing, people stood up to do the right thing. And there's a lesson in that. 
that I think the lesson in that is that we put so much dependence in our government and so much uh, as Americans, we, we looked at our, our government and I, I struggle with the, the frustration of this as American, but we saw people stand up and do the right thing in spite of our government. And then, and then we were in this interview and I was asked that question. And then my friend Seaspray was asked another question that I never heard asked before. And the interviewer said, was it worth it? And he said, it doesn't have to be. Um, and it was so profound to me because I think so often in our lives, we think there has to be a return on something that's dangerous or something different. Transactional. But the, the, doing the right thing. Doesn't have to be worth it. Yeah. Doing the right thing doesn't have to be worth it. And, uh, and I think we could use a little bit of that in our, day, in our daily lives, that uh, doing the right thing doesn't have to be always be worth it. I am honored to be called a friend of yours. Uh, it's really just an honor to know you. It really is. Jack. I feel the same way. Everything man. that you, you do. The name of the book is Saving Aziz. It is available wherever you buy books. Make sure you pick it up. There is a reason why Blinds.com has over 40,000 five-star reviews. It becomes obvious when you see how their window treatments give that home the new, uh, the new look and at a, a really reasonable price. Um, it's ex- extremely affordable to change the look and the feel of your house. The noticeable difference in the way your home looks can come from Blinds.com, your one-stop shopping for anything and everything you do with window treatments, blinds, drapes, shutters, even the cool stuff like motors, motorized shades. You can follow, find all of it at Blinds.com. They have the latest materials. They have the latest styles and fabrics, etc., etc. If you need help measuring or installing, they do that too. Everything is backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Shipping is always free, so don't wait. Go there now. Shopblinds.com. Save 40% site-wide, including 40% off all mini blinds. 40% off everything right now at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The Glenn Beck Program. Saving Aziz by Chad Robichaud, who we just had in. Uh, you're going to see this thing everywhere. It officially launches tomorrow. Um, he came in to give us the, the first interview, which I, 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 I'm grateful for. Um, but uh, you're going to see it everywhere, and it's going to be advertised everywhere. It's gonna, you'll hear it on The Blaze and probably on this program, too. I just wanted you to know when you hear it. Um, I love this guy. He's a good, dear friend. Great dude. And this is, he is the guy, because we were dealing with, when we were doing the Afghanistan thing, when we were looking for who is going to go in and do black ops, who's going to go in and get these people. And we had a lot of people on the ground inside through preachers and stuff, but they're not military. And I didn't know who to trust because you get somebody over there. It's like, you know, John Wayne, hey, I'm going to shoot him up. Not like John Wayne ever did that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Some cowboy, you're in real trouble. And then Chad called and he's like, Hey, listen, I hear. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. Yes. Cause I completely trust him. He's oh, a yeah. total man of God. He's, uh, I mean, he's probably the closest to a, Tom Cruise action, real life action figure I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he can't do it, he knows somebody who can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can just trust him. It's great. It's, it's, you know, we've done a lot of great stuff with the audience on this show over the years. It's hard to imagine we are ever going to outdo that, though. 
I mean, the fact that this audience was, that was, was involved in saving all of those people's lives. 17,000 people. Incredible. Put that into the Oscar Schindler list. 17,000 people. Think how many people you saved. And we couldn't save anymore. They wouldn't let us save anymore. The Glenn Beck Program.